I did obviously know that it wasn't going to be so popular. That's precisely why I had to go anonymous with it, because frankly, I assumed that I'd be fired for my job if I was identified as the author while employed at such a school. Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect naughty topics such as good versus evil, religion versus no religion, Zionism versus Judaism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. About a year ago, there was an article in the foreword that was written anonymously by a rabbi who taught in several Jewish but Zionist Hebrew day schools, modern Orthodox Hebrew day schools, we call them. The article said that in some of the schools where the writer was employed, the kids are being taught that they should be politically loyal to a foreign power, namely the state of Israel. He describes how the Israeli national anthem, Hatikva, is sung with much more fervor than the American Star-Spangled Banner, how these students were actually told, America is not your country, Israel is your country, how Benjamin Netanyahu is your prime minister, how the IDF is your army. And he describes how in these schools, Zionism is more important than even Judaism itself. The point of his article was to tell these schools that they're encouraging anti-Semitism. They're literally strengthening this trope that Jews are dually loyal. The message was that they should cease and desist. There's a problem, and instead of sweeping it under the rug, they should actually do something about it. Well, the reaction to the article was wild. Zionists all over went ballistic. The Jewish press referred to the article as noxious, Jonathan Greenblatt, the head of the Anti-Defamation League, actually weighed in, and he referred to the article as shocking. In fact, he wrote an entire article attacking the author and what he wrote. I've heard people say that the author of this article probably doesn't even exist, and it was probably just a way to generate controversy and attention to the newspaper. Well, I happen to know that this author does exist, and soon you will too because he's here with us today. For the first time, revealing who he is and sharing with us his experience of teaching in schools like this and subsequently being targeted by Zionists for what he wrote. Please welcome Rabbi Shmuel Jacobs. So Shmuel, how are you this morning? Very well, thanks. And uh, yeah. Tell me, did you ever think when you wrote this article in the foreword that it would make such a tumult in the Zionist world? Jason Greenblatt, the head of the ADL, wrote a rebuttal or I would say a response to it in the foreword. Did you have any idea of what type of tumult this thing was going to make? I didn't expect the defense to be so strong. I mean, I did obviously know that it wasn't going to be so popular. That's precisely why I had to go anonymous with it, because frankly, I assumed that I'd be fired for my job if I was identified as the author while employed at such a school. But did I expect it to be so such a potent 
response and a kind of angry defensive reaction? No. Why would you think that they would fire you? I, I'm not denying that they would, but I'm curious as to what excuse they would give for firing you. Would they claim that you lied, that you said things that are not true or, or what? Yeah, it's an interesting question because really, and this is what's funny about the whole thing is I think that if you look at all the schools and if, you know, as I said in the article originally, if somebody would go into these schools, they'll just see this stuff is just so obvious and plain that it's like undeniable what I was pointing out. The schools themselves on their websites, they say the one of their main missions, you know, they word it differently depending on the school, is to create a strong identity with Israel and a love of Israel, that kind of thing. But there's two parts then to answer your question. One is that I was known as somebody who wasn't so rah-rah enthusiastic for Israel. When I say Israel, you know, we're talking about the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, and everything that comes with it. And so that already made me kind of like suspect in their eyes. And then number two, that anything that they just feel, even let's say arbitrarily, is critical of Israel you know, we see this all the time. It's just like knee-jerk response. You're an anti-Semite. Like, you know, the fact that I've been teaching in these schools, teaching Jewish studies for years would still not disqualify me from being an anti-Semite in their eyes if I did anything which a step later could be connected to uh, being anti-Israel. For how many years have you taught in these schools? There, I, when I left that school, the last school I was in, that was my eighth year in such a school. From your accent, I can tell you're originally British. That's right, yeah. When did you come to America? Ten years ago. And did you start teaching then at that point? Occasional teaching a couple of years after I arrived. Just, you know, a class here or there. But eventually you got into it full-time. And then I went full-time, yeah. Now, just to clarify something, in the forward article itself, a couple of the details are changed slightly. It possibly says I was there for 10 years in these schools. That, again, was just part of the anonymity and an extra couple of years, I figured, while protecting my identity and my livelihood didn't change the facts. If anything, the fact that I'd seen so much in just eight years sort of emphasizes it more. In other words, they changed the details of your personal identity in order to prevent you from being identified by those who wanted a called you an anti-Semite. Correct, yeah. And they were actually very good and very cooperative with that. I have a lot of, you know... I do know. I know that the forward was under pressure to reveal who you are. In fact, Jason Greenblatt even said that you don't have the courage to mount your argument as as who you really are, which is kind of like uh, the mafia saying that the witness who's in the witness protection program doesn't have the courage to come out and say who he is. There's a reason why you're anonymous. And the forward, they actually verified your resume. Yeah, they were very thorough about it. They wanted to see credentials from me. I sent them a couple of pay stubs, a photo ID from one of the schools. And besides being uh, a teacher in Jewish day schools for eight years, you're also an Orthodox Jew, right? Correct. Yeah. Full-fledged, all nine yards, Orthodox Jew. Yeah. Um, Shabbos, uh, kosher, learning Torah, everything. A hundred percent. Yeah, a very committed, I consider myself a totally committed Torah and Judaism is the center of my sort of daily life and my family life. So what made them suspect that you aren't so, what were your words, 
rah-rah about Israel? What made them think that? They were quite correct to, to think that, in that it comes up a lot in these schools, various activities, and I'd never been able to bring myself to even fake an enthusiasm for them. There's a lot of people I know who teach in these schools who don't necessarily personally believe or support this stuff, but there's a tremendous pressure to go along with it. So they'll, you know, you will see them waving the flags, you'll see them singing the songs and sort of putting on uh, Israeli army paraphernalia. Now, to clarify for our listeners, what is it exactly that you're not so rah-rah about Israel in regard to? Are we talking about the Palestinian conflict? Are you talking about that you were pro-BDS? Are we talking about some other thing? What exactly was the point of contention between you and these schools that you taught in? No, I mean, I really have no opinions particularly at all on the Palestinian situation on BDS. I think BDS maybe seems a little ill-for-through, but I've really no opinions about it. Simply that I never identified with Israel myself. I saw no reason for it to have any connection to me. I've been there a few times for various occasions, a couple of weddings, but I just never saw it as part of my identity. And the and quite simply, the idea of seeing it as part of my identity just seems bizarre to me. And I've never been able to get over that despite the bombardment that I received on a pretty much daily basis in these schools that trying to insist that it should be part of my identity. What do we mean when they say that the schools wanted it to be part of your identity? Because, you know, Greenblatt, in his rebuttal to your article, he claims that that's a defense for them. Yeah, let, me, let me quote it. He said, quote, Certainly many Jewish day schools celebrate the state of Israel and the Jewish connection historically, religiously, and emotionally to the country. Now, you disagree with all of the above. From what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I agree with you 100%. Historically, religiously, and emotionally, there is no connection, no organic connection between Jews and the state of Israel. The Holy Land, yes, which, by the way, extends upwards into part of Lebanon and ends southwards before the state of Israel. And so a lot is probably not part of the Holy Land, but southern Lebanon is. There's a holiness in the land, but the country, the political construct that was created in 1948, has no historical or religious connection to the Jewish people. And in terms of emotional connection, well, if somebody wants to be emotionally connected to China or Russia or France... That's their business, but it has nothing to do per se with being Jewish. I agree with that. But then listen to what he says over here. He says, the Jewish historical and cultural connection to Israel is the main reason that parents send their children to such schools. But, he says, this is not a matter of political loyalty, but a question of personal identity. Now, you also mentioned the personal identity, and it's interesting because he says that the fact that it's a personal identity is a defense for them. It's different than political loyalty. You're agreeing that they want you to connect your personal identity with a foreign country, but you look at it as a detriment. Could you explain what they mean by Israel, the state of Israel, is part of your personal identity? I mean, I'm an American. I'm a citizen of the United States. My family was from Poland, Russia, and England, and grandparents, three different places. And the state of Israel that was created in 1948 has nothing to do with me. And even if I, I would have lived there, that doesn't mean it's part of my identity as a Jew. 
It will be part of my identity as an Israeli or former Israeli, but I never lived there. Jewish is my religion. What do they mean that Israel is part of your identity? I mean, if it wasn't for Israel, you'd be less of a Jew. What, what exactly are they saying here? Yeah, that's precisely the kind of message they want to give. And it's really difficult to convey this because it seems so absurd to somebody who's not in it. And certainly, like I said, be, be, before I went to these schools, I, I had just no interest in Israel, really. Like, why would I? And it was just unbelievable for me when I was in these schools to see it. This, I'm taking a while to get to your question here That's because okay. it, it it really requires quite an introduction just of how unbelievable it is and then how they try to make it just seem totally for granted and just a normal part of the picture. It really is that simple that they try to constantly give the message through a barrage of media and sort of signals within the schools that, yeah, Israel is the students' home. The Israeli army is their army. So that becomes just kind of taken for granted by these students. And then you see, when you work with children like this, that it, it becomes just an unimaginable thing. Like, if Israel is such an important part of my life, and if Israel is emphasized so much, if Israel really is, you know, my home, if Israel, if the Israeli army is my army, then, yeah, if that's taken away from me, that's like one of the biggest parts of my life removed and, you know, it, it would be difficult for them to imagine how to cope with that. You know, it 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 almost be like saying, like, it sounds crazy what I'm saying now, but uh, it'd be akin to suggesting to them, you know, your family is no longer your family, if you would suggest Israel is no longer sort of a part of your life. That's, that's how much it's emphasized here, to just make it that it's such a natural and assumed part of their existence that... Yeah, Israel. Israel's my home. Why is Israel my home? Because I've been told it since kindergarten. What does it mean, it's my home? I mean, these kids, they live here in America. In what sense is it their home? So, again, before getting to the exact kind of attempt of an answer of that question, I'm just going to preface by saying that a lot of things in these schools and their approach to Israel and Zionism as part of that is not always or does not always seem to be so well thought through. Because if you would really probe it, then you're right, the answers all fall apart and it breaks down and it doesn't make sense at all. So what do they do? They just continue to give the message. It never seemed to be a coherent philosophy or understanding of any kind of real nationalism or anything like that. It was just a constant messaging of Israel's your home, Israel's your home, Israel's your home. The Israeli army is your army. They protect you. They protect us. If not for the Israeli army, we wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have Judaism. We wouldn't have... Until the students take it for granted. And, you know, if you look at these schools' websites and their philosophies, their mission statements, they're quite open about this. I mean, I've got a few here. This This is the school in Miami, and this is just like echoed throughout many of these, beginning with our younger students, the Hebrew Academy endeavors to instill a lifelong love of Torah, Israel, and the Jewish people. And that's it. You begin with the younger students, and you give this over to them so that it becomes just like an unimaginable thing. And it doesn't require, at that point, by the time these students are old enough to really think critically or independently about this, the ship has sailed. Like, you know, they've already absorbed it so much, it doesn't need to be a real coherent uh, idea. I want to get back to what you mentioned about 
this having nothing to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, because there are many anti-Zionists or people that are not, as you call it, rah-rah about Israel. They'll accept the fact that Israel is the nation-state of the Jewish people, but they don't like what Israel is doing. There are many people who identify as anti-Zionists who are against Zionism because they believe that the core idea of Zionism is that the Jews are entitled to take the land away from the Palestinians, and that's what they object to. We're talking about a completely different thing. You're coming from an Orthodox Jewish perspective and from a perspective of an American citizen. You're not being rah-rah about Israel. You're looking at Israel the same way, and I agree with you, we look at China or Russia or Belgium or Romania is simply because why shouldn't we? What is there about Israel that makes it my country? It's just a random foreign country that makes a, has an ideology that says it's the country of all Jews. Imagine right. if there would be some uh, country that said, well, we're, we are the nation state of all the black people. That's nice. How did, how did you become the nation state of all right. black people? I mean, there are plenty of Arab states. You see, that's part of the confusion here. Israel calls itself the Jewish state. And there are all sorts of different interpretations of that. I read a book by um, a guy, Stephen Maisie, who used to teach in University of Michigan. He did a study. He asked many Israelis if they think Israel is a Jewish state, and if so, what makes it a Jewish state? So in the secular sector, in the secular Jews that he asked, all of them said, yes, Israel is a Jewish state, but they couldn't agree exactly what makes it Jewish. One of them said, in some ways, it's Jewish. And others said that it's the religious nature of the state. Another one said, it's the law of return. Another one said, it's governed by Jews, and they govern it for the Jews. Another one said, it's the Jewish, uh, Avira is the word uh, he used. It means the Jewish atmosphere. Another one said that in Israel, Judaism is, quote, very, very important. And another one said, in many of the laws, the education system. Still another one said, well, it's the way Ben-Gurion combines religion into the state, uh, even though Ben-Gurion didn't put any religion in the state. In fact, when he drafted the Declaration of Independence of Israel, he refused to put in the word God. He absolutely refused. So... They really, it's really difficult to pin down what a Jewish state means, especially to people that don't look at being Jewish as a religion. But Israel itself gives us a definition of what they mean by Jewish state. Go to the website mfa.gov.il. That's the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs on their uh, GOV website. It says, quote, the term Jewish state refers primarily to nationality. Israel is to the Jewish people what France is to the French people, Ireland is to the Irish, and Japan is to the Japanese. See, that's Zionism. In the real world, Japan is to the Japanese and Ireland is to the Irish what Israel is to the Israelis. But the ideology of Zionism goes beyond normal reality. The ideology of Zionism changes that. It makes Israel into something that's unique amongst all the countries, all the nations of the world. It's not that Japan is to the Japanese and France is to the French, what Israel is to the Israelis. Japan is to the Japanese and Ireland is to the Irish, what Israel is to the Jews, meaning to the Jews inside Israel as opposed to everybody else inside Israel and to the Jews outside of Israel as opposed to America being to the American Jews, 
what Japan is to the Japanese. Two things they're saying. They're saying, number one, that inside Israel, not all Israelis relate to the state of Israel the way all Japanese relates to Japan. It's only the Jews inside Israel that do, and that was their nation-state law. But two, America is not to all Americans what Japan is to the Japanese. Israel is to the American Jews what Japan is to the Japanese. At best, they'll say, well, both countries are, even though that's precisely what the anti-Semites mean when they accuse the Jews of dual loyalty. Still other times, Zionists will say that uh, American Jews relate to Israel the way an Irish-American relates to Ireland or an um, Italian-American relates to Italy. But it's not true because the way a Irish-American relates to Ireland is, number one, there's a reason for that because him or his family once lived in Ireland, which has nothing to do with the Jewish relationship to Israel. Most Jews never lived in Israel here in America, those that live here. And yet, because they're Jewish, there's some type of ideological political connection. It's not an organic connection. It's not where you were. So it's a completely different thing. Secondly, no Irish American would say that the Irish army is his army, that the, the, the president, a prime minister, or ruler, or king of Ireland is your prime minister, ruler, or king, or no Italian American would consider the prime minister of Italy their prime minister, and yet Zionists themselves talk about Netanyahu as your prime minister, the Israeli army as your army. Am I right about that? Yeah, 100%. Just clarify one thing, I'm not yet an American citizen. I've been here for 10 years, but I'm still a green card holder, and probably in the next couple of years I will get that citizenship, but just to one point of accuracy there. Uh, but it, certainly my wife is an American citizen, my children are U- U.S. citizens, and the children in the schools where I was teaching were U.S. citizens. So Okay, but you're a uh, British citizen, right? Yeah. A and, citizen of the U.K., so that's still not Israel. Yeah, the main point is, I'm, 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 one thing I'm not is an Israeli citizen. There, there's a political connection there, we're saying. There's an identification of being somehow part of Israel, not just having a nostalgic affinity for it, or not just loving a country, but rather being part of its political, not citizenship, but relating to it as your country in a similar way that Americans relate to America as America being their country. What does it mean Israel is your army? And Netanyahu is your prime minister. What exactly does that mean? When Netanyahu makes a law, it has no jurisdiction over American Jews. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, I'll start with a couple of anecdotes just to, you know, as evidence of, please, please. of this. That, you know, for example, yeah, Netanyahu, my prime minister, supposedly your prime minister. So when I was teaching at one of these schools, I was teaching the younger grades. And I just remember... You remember a few years ago, obviously, that Netanyahu came, gates the wishes of then-President Obama to address Congress. And it was done as a real, sort of, it was a deliberate slap in the face to to Obama. It was in March 2015. Okay. So I was at a school then, a Hebrew academy, a modern Orthodox day school. And there, there was an excitement 
in the school that was built up. Now, I was teaching second grade at the time, so this, these children were too young to really be involved in this. But the older grades, at the time when Netanyahu was addressing Congress then, everyone was ferried into the, to the synagogue of the school. And they had set up a, a video projector, and, and it was built up with this excitement and tension that our Prime Minister, Netanyahu, now Netanyahu, is going to speak to Congress, and he's going to show them, you know, about us. Like, you know, this is, this is our guy going into Congress. Forget about the fact that, you know, there were legitimate congressmen from New York in Congress, presumably, who'd actually been elected as representatives of the people in the school, their parents at least. You know, it was our guy in Congress at that point. And, yeah, it's just bizarre. The, the whole thing, I remember thinking, was, like, weird at that time. Like, doing it in the synagogue, you know, the, it's like, people could say, okay, fine, it's a multi-purpose room as well. There was a gym in the school, which was used plenty of occasions also for screening things. It seemed to be part of the... Could be I'm totally wrong about this, but at least to me, it seemed to be the part of the broader message that, no, this is... This is a Jewish thing going on right now. You're Jews in the school. This is a Jewish thing. The prime minister of a country in the Middle East, of Israel, coming over and speaking to your what should be seen as our elected representatives in Congress there. And we're going to be proud of this and make a big deal of it. So, like I said, yeah, studies were suspended at that time because this took precedence. So that's one thing. And then more recently, last year, in a different school, different uh, Hebrew academy, also in the New York area, there's a fellow called Steve Gar. Steve Gar is a South African guy who works in some Israeli counterterrorism unit. And again, this is this like big excitement, special assembly, cancel classes. Everyone go in to, to to see this fellow, Steve Gar. And first everyone was sworn to secrecy because this is all like hush hush. He's like a special elite guy. And he's bragging to us about how he's trained the LAPD, he's trained these other things, and we can't say who he is or anything like that. He does a lot of speaking stuff, it's all publicized. And the whole message with principals from the school in the room was, at one point he said explicitly, America is not your country. Israel is your country. The Israeli army is your army. Wait, wait, say that again? He said, what? Yeah, America is not your country. Israel is your country. Israel is your home. And the Israeli army is your army. Now, he said both home and country. Correct. Because home is this amorphous word that doesn't really mean much. It's some emotional thing. But America is not your country. Correct. I discussed it with one of the principals who had been in the room afterwards. A really nice guy, actually. A very, very sweet, sincere guy who, unfortunately, he's sincere in what he's been Fed as well, which is all this stuff which he's been given, you know, since he was tiny. And I said, why aren't we offended by that? Why, why does no one have a problem with, with him saying this? Why do we think it's a, it's a smart thing for him to say to children, you know, in, in third grade? This was the, the younger children, and the school only went from first to, actually from kindergarten to sixth grade. I don't know if the kindergartners were there. I don't think so. Like, why do we think it's, it's acceptable or appropriate to him? important enough, frankly, you know, even if it's true that he should be saying this stuff to children that young, if it would be true. And he was harming and harming and saying, yeah, maybe it could have been worded differently. Maybe, maybe no, he didn't really, he wasn't planning on having the guy speak in the school, but one of the parents put pressure on them to have him. 
And then we got to the key point, which is, you know, I'm kind of laughing about it, but it's depressing and just insulting, which is this. But at the end of the day, we are more loyal to Israel. I'll say that again. He said at the end of the day, we're more loyal to Israel. He meant politically loyal. Yeah. And yeah, at the end of the day, J- Jason Greenblatt wrote in his article, quote, this is not a matter of political loyalty, but a question of personal identity. So we're saying no. In these places that you're talking about, the principal told you in one of them that, let's face it, we are more loyal to Israel than America. Yeah. And that's the idea that you were describing in the article that's generally pervasive in these other schools. Yeah, I mean, I even downplayed it in the article, just suggesting there was dual loyalty. A lot of what I saw was that it's definitely, uh, yeah, you could still say it's dual loyalty, but it's definitely off balance in favor of, in my experience, in favor of Israel. I mean, he, he went on to say, you know, we are more loyal to Israel. If we could, we would all move there right away. And, you know, and there was another teacher in the school when Israel sent that rocket to the moon, which crashed. Right. Again, <laughs> class canceled. Show the, show, the, show the rocket launch to your class instead of whatever you're planning on teaching. Now, there are no human beings that died in that crash. No. It was just that Israel failed to land this vehicle on the moon. Right. So actually, when they, when they told us to cancel class, that was when they were still hoping it would be successful and a source of, uh, as it was described, Jewish pride. This is, this, is, this is a great moment for the Jewish people. That was like the kind of line given over. So if Israel succeeds at something... They land something on the moon, they win a gold medal, they win a Eurovision contest. This is not Israeli pride, this is Jewish pride. Yeah. That's Zionism. See, that's exactly what Zionism is. Israel is different than all other countries in the world. All other countries in the world are the countries of their citizens. America is to America what Japan is to the Japanese, what China is to the Chinese, what Britain is to the Britons what Israel is to the Israelis, but Israel breaks that formulation according to their ideology, not according to reality. According to Israeli ideology, also known as Zionism, America is to Americans what Israel is to the Jews. That's the difference between Zionism and Judaism. Zionism says, one of the, one of the differences, there are plenty, but that's the, that's the innovation of Zionism, that I'm not an American in the same sense that everybody else is an American mm-hmm. because everybody else, all the other Americans are exclusively American. Here, Israel is to the Jews, which Japan is to the Japanese. Yeah, so then these were just like my own examples of what I saw in my schools. When I saw the reactions to the article I wrote, I'll admit there was a you know an element of a doubt in my mind. Like, what if I had an inaccurate sample? What if... What if I just like struck unlucky and I happened to be in like the weird wacko schools that were totally off kilter? So I looked into it a bit more. It doesn't seem to be the case. First, as I said, this guy Steve Gar, the you know, America's not your home, Israel, Israeli army is your army. Uh, that America's guy, America's not your country. America's not your country. Yeah, he, he's 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 been around. Like he's been to a lot of schools in this area. He's he's a, he's a regular on the school scene. It seems. Then I found some things. SAR Academy, a, a high school in Manhattan. There got. A quote you from a newsletter a few years ago but a final piece of the celebration for Israel Independence Day not a sound could be heard in the room as Sergeant Anthony told a story and made his case for our defense of Israel and the IDF 
blah, blah, blah. He told us to take pride in our Jewish homeland and in our army who are there to protect us within and beyond the borders of Israel simply because we are Jewish. For Israel is not just our state, but also our people. One example there. Now, the our people, he means Jews, I assume. How about non-Jews in Israel? Israeli Arabs, does he mean they are our people too? Look, look how he phrased that. He said, besides being our state, is also our people. That means the our state is assumed as a given. Right. He's, he's adding, also, we should know that it's also our people. But the fact that it's our state is, is a given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Several months before you wrote this article, there was another article in the foreword, March 11th, 2019, okay. by an Aaron Friedman. He was not a teacher, but he grew up in a, he's at a Jewish high school. He starts off the article. Every time a Jewish leader grandstands against the anti-Semitic canard of Jewish loyalty, I groan. Not because this trope is not real. He explains Jewish history, throughout Jewish history, people have accused Jews of that. Then he says, no, what frustrates me is how Jewish leaders, from local rabbis to the American Jewish Committee, condemn legitimate criticism of Israel by people like Representative Ilhan Omar as dual loyalty, while simultaneously making allegiance to Israel a requirement in American Jewish life. I should know, he says. I saw this firsthand at my Jewish high school. And he gives many examples. Mm -hmm. One of them, he says, quote, this school mandated allegiance seeped into even the most casual conversations. I remember once debating with my group of friends whether we'd rather serve with the Israeli Defense Forces or the U.S. military. Even though all of us and our parents were born and raised in the United States, we were unanimous. We'd rather fight for Israel. With any other cultural group in America, for any country, these statements would be shocking, after all. When was the last time you heard of an Italian-American birthright trip to Sicily? But for American Jews, the centrality of allegiance to Israel and our communal organizations is the norm. Well, first of all, like I said, Italian-Americans are Italian-Americans because they once lived there. This is right. not the case with Jews. But he's making a, a good point here. He's saying that Israel makes a call to action to the Jews. Aliyah, come live in Israel. And not only from a religious perspective. Jews belong in Israel. Come make Aliyah. Even the non-religious, atheistic Zionists have this goal in mind. And that was one of the original goals of Zionism, that Jews should, should all move to Israel. Italy doesn't have any objectives that anybody necessarily, any group of people should move to Italy. Then he says, even at synagogues, allegiance to Israel has literally become part of the Jewish liturgy. With many congregations, including the one I attended as an adolescent, saying the prayer for the state of Israel immediately before, before the prayer for the United States every Saturday. So this political concept of Israel had become part of the Jewish religion, or actually, what's really happening is that they're taking the Jewish religion and making it into political allegiance. Yeah, it's interesting uh, what you're saying there, because I saw two different approaches to this in the last two schools I was in. First, this is, again, this stuff sounds amusing until you realize like the implications of it. It just sounds like farcical almost. Though. Just to 
sort of say at the moment I'm teaching in a very different kind of school and there aren't any of these issues that I've seen or it's never come up this kind of stuff so when I'm talking about the schools I'm teaching in it's it's not anywhere that I'm presently employed right and it's important to make that clear that these type of schools this is not a Jewish thing this allegiance to Israel this is there are plenty of schools the vast majority of schools don't do this on the contrary you're coming to condemn this precisely yeah, my daughter's school, they don't do it. That's my children's schools, school. they never heard of such a thing. They right. would look at this as like bizarre and weird. There right. is a, a group of this hardcore Zionist schools that do this, but only those schools. Right. You're not the only one. We all condemn that. If somebody would talk about Israel being our country, they would be condemned at least by any normal Orthodox Jew. In that political sense, we owe our allegiance to the United States of America. However, there are Zionist schools in which this is taught, and it should be condemned. It certainly should be condemned. Mm -hmm. And I commend you for this. Yeah, I think it's important. And also just the distortion of Judaism it presents, which again is something that they start with and really try to force in the schools itself. So you mentioned the religious uh, aspect of this politicization the school of this type that I was in most recently, there were classes, a lot of the daily prayers and the structure of the daily prayers in the class was left to the class teacher's discretion, which worked out to my benefit because certainly there was pressure to incorporate some of these you know, prayers for the state of Israel. Not prayers for people worldwide, not prayers for the Jewish people, prayers for the state of Israel as a sp- specific entity. And there were even classes, no small number percentage-wise in the school, where at the end of the service in the class, it's this weird spectacle to me, just to see that the, the, the teacher would call up a child, hand them an Israeli flag, everyone would stand, and then the child would wave the flag while everyone sings Hatikva, the, the Israeli national anthem. So that's just one thing. And then this school before that, also in this area, and also a school that purports to be Orthodox and to be giving over Orthodox Judaism to its students, there was this almost like comical situation where they got a new principal at one point. And he happens to be also like a very, very nice man. And the principals in these schools, by the way, are under a tremendous amount of pressure from all sorts of perceived, both real, both non-real forces to bring in this Israel stuff a lot of the time. There's two ways this was explained to me, and you'll see that both possibilities are problematic. The first is that he wanted to start saying the Pledge of Allegiance in school. It hadn't been said in the school before his arrival, and he wanted to institute that the children should say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. And what happened, version one, is that he was then told, well, if you're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, then you also have to sing Hatikva, the Israeli national anthem. The second version is that he, he wanted to start singing the Israeli National Anthem every day in school, and was told, well, if you're going to do that, then you have to at least say the Pledge of Allegiance as well. Whichever was the way it went, every day in that school, it was the Pledge of Allegiance, at least the Pledge of Allegiance came first, I guess, and then the Israeli National Anthem. Now, just as an observer of this, what was always fascinating to see was the Pledge of Allegiance, nobody knew the words. Nobody. (laughs) It was just mumbled completely, just like like bizarre thing, This, this kid's kicking knapsacks, like throwing things to each other, just like mayhem. Hatikva starts playing, and suddenly everyone takes this seriously. And I was like, you know, shh, 
teachers are shushing uh, the students. Everyone's got to stand straight, like ramrod straight. Um, there's a there's a reverence that has to fill the the gym, which is where they used to say it. So yeah, that's that's how it went there. You know the difference between Hatikva and the Pledge of Allegiance. The American Pledge of Allegiance mentions God. <laughs> right. Hatikva doesn't. <laughs> yes. Yep. Why do you think that this Friedman article that came out several months before yours did not elicit such strong opposition from Zionists across the board, but yours did? I could only speculate that it's related to what you mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, that I, I imagine that Friedman isn't rejecting wholesale the idea that there's a, this connection between himself and Israel, but that he, he just thinks it's presented in an unhealthy manner. And that would seem to be the big difference there. It could be. I mean, he does say, quote, at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise in this country and blank check political support for Israel is being challenged, it's more important than ever to maintain the difference between American Jewry and Israel. He mentions about how he supports BDS and his Politics are, quote, driven by Jewish values of ethics and morality rather than blind political loyalty to a foreign country. I I think it has to do uh, perhaps also with the fact that he's an individual and he could say that this is his perception as a student, but you are a teacher Uh and you're saying that this was a required thing in several schools that you taught in. I think that makes a difference. Now, I want to get back to the Greenblatt article. I just mentioned that this Friedman, he said that at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise in this country, it's more important than ever to maintain the difference between American Jewry and Israel, implying, correctly so in my view, that this dual loyalty business or this loyalty to Israel, whatever you want to call it, increases anti-Semitism. It certainly does. I have no doubt about it. Now, Greenblatt, on the other hand, starts off his article by saying, how the dual loyalty canard was always used to hurt Jews, and then, quote, at a time of surging anti-Semitism in America, it is shocking to see an author write an op-ed in the forward accusing day schools of preaching dual loyalty. It is the kind of piece that likely delights anti-Semites from all sides of the spectrum. Whether they hate the Jewish people and or the Jewish state, they undoubtedly will hold up this op-ed long into the future as the basis for their bigotry. Have you found any anti-Semites holding up your op-ed as the basis for their bigotry? I haven't. No, I, ha- I certainly haven't seen that. I've seen anti-Semites pointing to the fact that dual loyalty is taught. I mean, my, my op-ed was not creating this teaching of dual loyalty. You know, it was it, condemning it. it. It was condemning it. It was pointing out that it's a real thing, which if we're serious about wanting to decrease anti-Semitism, then, hey, guys, you've got to sort of look in the mirror here at what's going on and think maybe there's something we could do better in this area. It wasn't intended to just, like, publicize this dual loyalty. It was it was there to condemn it and to point out that this is actually a negative thing. This is a bad thing that could be used by anti-Semites and, in fact, is used by anti-Semites and had been used by anti-Semites long before, you know, as, as it's accepted, had been used by anti-Semites long before the article came out. And that if we're serious about wanting to decrease anti-Semitism and really wanting to do something productive about that, 
then here seems to be a fairly easy fix of, you know, maybe we should consider, is it smart to be singing foreign national anthems in our schools? Is it smart to be encouraging our children that, you know, to, that a foreign state's army is their army and that a foreign state is their state? And this is just something that's, it just seems so obvious if you take a detached view from it, in my opinion. Even something like, let's say, every year there's this parade on Fifth Avenue, the Celebrate Israel Parade. And the way that is dealt with in these schools is it's mandatory for at least some of the grades. Some say all the grades, some say just the older children. But there's certainly always an element of the school that for whom attendance at this parade is mandatory. This is stuff that's easily verifiable. And, you know, my article did not make this stuff happen. Like, this stuff could be verified and Googled and searched before. In fact, in the Friedman's article, he says, quote, every year we would be, quote, strongly encouraged to attend the Salute to Israel parade on New York's Fifth Avenue. Teachers were marshals. And mocking stories about pro-Palestinian activists were exchanged in class the following day. His things with the Palestinians, but you want to know what's funny here? Greenblatt writes... There's a quote, at a time of surging anti-Semitism in America, it is shocking to see an author write an op-ed in the forward, etc. Friedman, where he says we should stop teaching dual loyalty, says, quote, at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise in this country and blank check political support for Israel is being challenged. It's a funny thing. They're using the exact same words almost. At a time when anti-Semitism is surging, at a time when anti-Semitism is on the rise, we have to stop doing what you're doing, Greenblatt says. And the other one, Friedman says, we have to stop doing what the schools are doing. I certainly agree with you. I have not seen any basis for Greenblatt's point that condemning dual loyalty or condemning teaching loyalty, whatever word you want to use for it, to Israel creates anti-Semitism. On the contrary, it's the opposite. The idea that Jews do teach loyalty to Israel or that Jews are loyal to Israel is well known by the anti-Semites and condemning it is what Jews should do to say they don't represent us. I have seen no evidence of it at all, what Greenblatt is saying. It just seems to me that he's going on this best defense as an offense kind of thing to accuse others of being anti-Semitic, which Zionists do anyway, including Jews that don't agree with Zionism. I heard a podcast. I think it was from Forward, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. It was Peter Beinert and Deborah Lipstadt. Okay. And Beinert asks Lipstadt if anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, because that's, the, that's what the Zionists say, then what about the Orthodox Jews, such as the Satma, Hasidim, that are anti-Zionist? Are they anti-Semites too? So she says, the jury is out on that. <laughs> the jury is out on that. <laughs> oh, maybe they're an exception, but the jury is out on that. Well, let me know when they when they decide. Yeah, she, that, that was part of the quote. The jury is out on that. Do you hear that? So we're all anti-Semites. But you know what? I have a question for Jonathan Greenblatt. Jonathan Greenblatt, if he's listening to this podcast, I gladly would have him on. I'd love him to answer the following. He says, claiming that Israel is the state of the Jews or that Jews are loyal to Israel or should be loyal to Israel, encourages anti-Semitism. Okay, and the problem is he accused you of doing that when you were doing just the opposite. You were condemning it. Okay, I wonder if he would condemn Netanyahu because 
in March 2015, when Netanyahu came to America, and you mentioned that your school was instructed to stop classes and listen to his speech, he then said that he came as, quote, an emissary of all the citizens of Israel, even those who don't agree with me, and of the entire Jewish people. End quote. The entire Jewish people. Yep. Netanyahu represents the entire Jewish people. Okay. In September 2011, at the 66th General Assembly in the UN, Netanyahu stated, quote, On behalf of Israel and the Jewish people, I extend that hand again today. As the Prime Minister of Israel, I speak for a hundred generations of Jews. He speaks for a hundred generations of Jews? How's that? <laughs> Netanyahu not only speaks in the name of the Jewish people, but a hundred generations of them. Wow. In the 2015 Saban Forum, Netanyahu said about himself, quote, you can't be a leader of the Jewish people and not have hope. Now, he's a leader of the Jewish people, not Prime Minister of Israel. On October 21st, 2015, Isaac Herzog, who is the head of the opposition party, the Labour, scolded Netanyahu for saying that the Mufti of Jerusalem gave Hitler the idea to kill the Jews. Quote, this is what Herzog said, Netanyahu has forgotten that he is not only the Israeli prime minister, he is also the prime minister of the Jewish people. Just about a year before that, Naftali Bennett, who's head of the National Religious Party, he wrote on his Facebook site in response to, you remember this, an anonymous Obama administration official who referred to Netanyahu as a coward using yeah, a nasty yeah. colloquialism. He said, quote, The prime minister of Israel is not a private person. He is the leader of the Jewish state and the entire Jewish people. So I wonder if Jason Greenblatt is willing to condemn these people as well. In the Times of Israel, October 4th, 2015, there was an article titled, quote, Netanyahu is the leader of the Jewish world, says top aide. It describes a, a Sabbath sermon in a Manhattan synagogue given by Ellie Groner, who is the director general of the office of the prime minister of Israel. Now, what did this sermon include? Well, the article doesn't recount any biblical interpretations. Instead, it describes a conversation Netanyahu had with the Secretary General of the UN, then Ban Ki-moon. Groner said, quote, I wish that every Jew in the world would have been in that room, end quote, to witness the eloquence with which the, quote, leader of the Jewish people, the prime minister is by design the leader of the Jewish world, end quote, spoke on their behalf. He referred to Netanyahu as the leader of the Jewish people. He said, the prime minister is by design the leader of the Jewish world. Yeah. I wonder if he'll condemn Ann Pollard, Jonathan Pollard's wife, who during an interview on 60 Minutes said regarding her husband's spying on the U.S. for Israel, quote, I feel my husband and I did what we were obligated to do and what our moral obligation was as Jews. Jonathan Pollard himself said that he's, he committed his crime due in, to a sense of, quote, racial imperative. Al Dershowitz quotes that. I wonder if Jason Greenblatt would condemn them. So the, the whole world knows about these things. These are not secrets. And the schools themselves don't keep the secret. Like I said, you know, I, 
I've got lots of tabs on my computer open right now where they just say this stuff very, very clearly with pride, in fact, you know, the. So what do you think is really going on here? This is so weird because the Zionists are saying this. They're not making a secret of it. They're telling everybody that Israel is the country of the Jewish people, even the Jewish people outside of Israel. Uh, Israel's the nation state of all the Jews. Netanyahu is their prime minister. He's the leader of all the Jews. Netanyahu himself says it. Even his opposition, Herzog, said that. And yet if somebody condemns that, they get condemned by people like Jason Greenblatt and all the other Zionists that condemn your article. Yep. Because you're revealing to the world that these schools agree with what Netanyahu says and what the Israeli government says and what Zionism says. So w- which way do they want it? Do they want the world to believe that Israel is the state of the Jewish people or do they want the world not to believe that? I yeah. don't think that has an answer. You know what I think? I think they want people to believe that Israel is the state of the Jewish people, and Netanyahu is their prime minister, but they shouldn't think about the dual loyalty ramifications there. Precisely. They want to, I mean, you know, there seems to be an example to me of why the phrase, have your cake and eat it, exists, because this is what they want there. They want, they want to have this dual loyalty. They want to have this allegiance to a state. They want to be able to really, let's call it what it is, propagandize this in the schools. To bizarre extents, by the way, I mean, back to the salute to Israel, celebrate Israel, it's changed its name at some point, I forget which way it went, parade. Like I said, it's a mandatory thing, a mandatory thing on a Sunday that these children have to go into Manhattan and march with some banners. And this preparation goes into this. They have the girls practice waving flags and dancing behind. And get this, the teachers, you know, Friedman mentions the teachers being marshals there, as though all the teachers are really into it. Now, a huge number of them are, and that's true. There's definitely a lot of the teachers who gleefully volunteer for this. Been at least one of the schools that I taught where the teachers tended to be more traditionally orthodox, meaning not Zionist themselves. What's common in these schools is that the schools will write it into the contract. First, they'll specify attendance at the, the Israel parade. And then there's a clause that says that if you take that day off, if you don't attend, it's not like any other day that you take off. It's, it counts as two days vacation instead of one. That's so it, it's worse to take off on a day where there are no classes, but there's the Israel Day Parade, than there is to take off on a day where there's classes, even a day you would have to give a test or something. Correct. Or even another day, let's, let's say somebody thinks, okay, well, and it must just be a logistical thing about chaperoning and making sure everyone's safe. No, because that would be a day where, let's say, like by Omer, where traditionally, you know, places go out and play games and fields, that kind of thing. A lot of these schools, it's become the tradition. I could take off that day and no problem, no question asked. So for a holiday where they go out and take field trips for religious reasons, there's no problem with you taking off. Correct. But not going to the Israel parade, you are penalized for. Right. I mean, certainly if I took off on any other field trip day, it'd be frowned upon and they wouldn't like it. It'd be inconvenient, but, you know, it'd still just be the one day. of You wouldn't be docked an extra day. Correct. And it's not written in the contract that you would be. Can I tell you a story? Sure. When I was a kid, this was 1968. Our school, which was not officially a Zionist school, had an assembly. I was a little kid. I didn't really understand 
the ramifications of what was going on, but I do remember the assembly. And our principal got up and spoke about the 20th anniversary of the State of Israel. I remember they gave out these pins. And we were all wearing these pins. That had one of these little maps of Israel. And he was speaking about how when he was a kid, he was jealous of the Spanish kids because the Spanish kids had Spain and the Italian kids had Italy. But what did the Jewish kids have? And now we have Israel. Okay? Now, it's, it's weird because I wonder if he was jealous of the American kids. You know? America, what does that mean? There are Jews in Italy that have uh, Italy. There are Jews in Spain that have Spain. And there are Jews in America. What does that even mean? But, listen to this. I left that school shortly afterwards. Not for that reason. I didn't even know. I didn't even realize what was being said to us. We were just being indoctrinated. We moved. We moved out of the neighborhood. And so I switched schools. I happened to have met that principal 40 years later. Okay. I had already grown up. I had already understood what I was being taught. And I knew that this particular principal was a regular Orthodox Jew. And he was a student of the yeshiva in the city of Baranovich, which was a regular, anti-Zionist, normal, Orthodox yeshiva in Europe, in Lithuania. And I asked him, I said, Rabbi, I remember... In 1968, you made this speech. This is what you said. How does it make sense that a regular Orthodox Jew would talk like this? So you know what he said? Go on. He said, listen, I had no choice. The board of directors forced me to say that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the response that you received, being a self-hating Jew that was heaped upon you, you, you encourage anti-Semitism. This is the strategy that Zionists use across the board, even though it's the opposite. What you're doing is helping to reduce anti-Semitism, hoping to reduce anti-Semitism, just like this writer Friedman said several months before you did. I'll, I'll give you an example. The day after 9-11, one of the popular sports radio shows in the country WFAN, Mike Francesca, and Chris Russo, they were discussing the day after 9-11, the loyalty Americans owe America, even if they have, quote, roots in other countries. Mm -hmm. Suddenly a call comes in from somebody named Ellie from Brooklyn. So Ellie says in front of millions of listeners all over the United States, if you were to ask the Jews, 90% of the Jews would go support Israel which is, of course, a lie. Ellie was a Zionist, okay? No question about it. He wishes they would. He wishes they would, yeah. So the host says, wait a second, are you American? So Ellie says, yeah, I'm American, but it has nothing to do with that. Which country would you protect first, the host asks, the United States or Israel? So this Zionist says, Israel, without a question. And the host can't believe what he hears. So he says, again, Israel over the United States? And Ellie says, that's correct. So the host tells him, I have a problem with that. I think that you would have to protect the country that you live in. 
I have a problem with that too, and so do you. <laughs> and so would all Orthodox Jews if they're not Zionists. Now, but just to make sure, the host was being extremely fair to him. He asks again. He says, if it came down to sacrificing the United States or Israel, you'd sacrifice the United States? He says, right. So he says, the host says, that's like me saying I'm going to protect the Vatican before I protect the New York. Not happening. Now, the truth is the host was wrong. I don't expect him to be educated in Judaism, but the Vatican is not to the Christians or the Catholics the same as Israel is to the Jews. The Vatican does have a connection to Catholicism, but Israel has no connection to the Jews. It's a political ideology. But okay, that's what he said. Now, the host was very fair to him. I agree with everything the host said. And every normal non-Zionist Orthodox Jew would as well. But the next day, the usual happened. Can I guess? That's, Go ahead. He's either fired or he has to issue a groveling apology or the usual, that kind of stuff. Well, a firestorm of accusations in the news outlets was unleashed against the show hosts, accusing them of anti-Semitism. Right, there we go. Okay. Anti-Semitism. For what? <laughs> what do they do? Of suggesting, they said that they suggested that Jews in America are more loyal to Israel than the United States. That's what, no, he, they didn't say that. Ellie did. Right. Somebody, one of the news outlets said, they suggested that American Jews should submit to make-believe wartime loyalty oaths to either America or Israel. This is nuts. None of this was true. Right. Whoever this alien from Brooklyn was, he portrayed himself as a Jew, and he was the one who proudly proclaimed that 90% of the Jews are more loyal to Israel than the United States. And this, on the day after 9-11. The astounded host, he was astounded. He didn't even address this piece of defamatory speculation about American Jewry. He appropriately, this was his job, he did the right thing. He only focused on Ellie's statement about himself. He didn't even ask Ellie, what did you say about the Jews? What would the Jews do? He right. didn't even do it. He was very professional and very appropriate. He said, Ellie, what would you do? The only thing that could possibly be called anti-Semitic in his words was the unintentional comparison between Israel and the Jews to the Vatican and the Catholics. Saying Israel represents the Jews the way the Vatican represents Catholicism is anti-Semitic. But seeing as Israel claims to represent the Jews, how could he be expected to know the difference? So one of the things I hope to get a step closer to when I wrote this article was just you know the idea that if somebody like this Ali calls up and says such a disgusting thing on the radio such a disgusting thing in sensitive time, like outrageous, that it should be as obviously absurd as if he had called up and said, hey, I'm Ellie the Jew from Brooklyn here, and I'm thinking of going and poisoning a well right now, because that's what Jews do. Like, you know, it should be as obviously like disconnected and fake Judaism as such a thing. Unfortunately, there's a way to go here, especially as long as these schools continue to do this. And you reminded me, you know, when you're saying about the, the specifically what this Ali fellow said about choosing between fighting for Israel, fighting for America, it came up a few times in my classes, these poor children who, you know, they don't choose to go to these schools, but they get sent there by their parents who do choose. And it really confuses them because several times I would have them ask me in class, but what would happen if Israel 
and America had a war. What would we do? Who would we fight for? The kids ask this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a good question because, you know, and again, back to Pollard, like, you know, one of the biggest defenses people had for Pollard was, yeah, but it's fine because Israel and America are allies. And that seems to be like one of the big things. It's like, everything's fine. Like, you know, don't worry about it because uh, circumstances are that they're, they're allies. The reason Pollard got such a harsh sentence was not because who he spied for, but because of the nature of the material that he stole. That race in manual was so sensitive, it's being stolen did enormous damage to American security. There was even concern that some of the information may end up in the hands of the Russians. Right. But yeah, people think that, you know, everything's fine because Israel and America basically have the same common goals and common outlooks. If what you're saying would be a valid argument, that were the argument, then Greenblatt wouldn't be saying, no, don't believe this guy, Shmuel Jacobs. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have the courage. He would say, yes, what do you mean? Of course, this is all true, but we're proud of it. Israel has the same interests of America. And you want to know how far, I want to show you how far this nonsense, this fake accusations of anti-Semitism go. Listen to this. So... He gives examples of other places where this canard of dual loyalty is presented. And he actually did condemn President Trump. He said President Trump raised the specter of dual loyalty when he said that, quote, if Jews vote for a Democrat, they're being disloyal to the Jewish people and very disloyal to Israel. Trump did say that. And that is disgusting. And it was condemned by many Jews. And Greenblatt is right about that. But over here, he mentions President Trump. He mentions the Dreyfus affair. He says, even here in the United States, the disloyalty charge has reared its ugly head. President Richard Nixon infamously spoke of a Jewish cabal in his administration. Then listen to this. He adds, last year, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib tweeted that senators promoting legislation against boycotts of Israel quote, forgot what country they represented. They have in the foreword a picture of this Rashida Tlaib's tweet. She says in response to a tweet from Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders said, it's absurd that the first bill during the shutdown is legislation which punishes Americans who exercise their constitutional rights to engage in political activity. He's talking about BDS, right? right? So she retweets this and she comments, they forgot what country they represent. This is the U.S., where boycotting is a right and part of our historical fight for freedom and equality. Maybe a refresher on U.S. Constitution is in order. Now, first of all, you know what the dumbest thing about this is? She wasn't even talking about Jews. She was talking about the congressmen that legislated against BDS. They weren't all Jews. That was the Congress. So what is this dual loyalty? About Jews, there's a canard against Jews. She didn't even accuse Jews of this. Not only didn't she accuse AIPAC, I mean, AIPAC is Israel lobby. She was talking about the senators in general, whether they be Jews or not. And secondly, really, the implication over here is not the way he presented it. She's not saying that they're more loyal to another country. What she's saying is that they forgot that in the U.S., boycotts are part of our freedoms. We're free to make boycotts if we want. So they should take a refresher on the Constitution and they forgot what country they represent. Not that they're loyal to another country. That's not, doesn't sound like she meant that at all. She meant, you forgot this is American. In America, we have a right to make boycotts. But aside from that, she wasn't even talking about Jews. 
This is crazy. Yeah. This is absolutely crazy. It's what they do. So listen, I'm glad. I'm glad that you feel safe now, that you're out of those small amount of schools that are Zionist schools that teach this kind of stuff. And we really need to explain to the world that this is not Judaism. Not only is it not Judaism, this is not Jews. Yeah, I think it's an important message to give. Unfortunately, these schools are not mainstream as far as Judaism is concerned. And I, again, that's based on experience having the job they're teaching Judaism and seeing what other people were doing, other members of faculty, that kind of thing, and how they wanted regular Judaism given across. They do claim to be orthodox, but this is just one of the problems with them that manifests in the Zionism. Problem is with these schools is that they tend to be the more vocal ones. They they have a lot of press coverage. They put themselves in the media. They have flashy websites. You know, my daughter's school, I don't think, has a website at all. So anybody, unfortunately, searching Orthodox Jewish schools Israel is sadly likely to find these, you know, sham, scam artists. What the public needs to know is that Orthodox Jews in general are busy studying, praying, fulfilling their religion. They're not politicians and generally speaking and we have other things to do with our lives than go around chasing the zionists who have unbelievable hasbara machine with seemingly unlimited resources that amplifies the voices of these schools as if they represent all jews and when people like you or other loyal Jews, blow the whistle, you're accused of treason. Treason, self-hating Jews, anti-Semitism. Yeah. Well, hence the name of this podcast, Committing High Reason, which is what it really is. Thank you for listening to Committing High Reason, the podcast that brings you the thoughts that count. For more material from Rabbi Shapiro, and for this episode's show notes and links, head on over to www.committinghighreason.com. Committing High Reason.